umgoblue.com. By fans, for fans, since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. On the last episode of the umgoblue.com 2021 season spectacular, defensive end Aiden Hutchinson had a message for the media after Michigan's stunning victory over Ohio State. You know, I, I told you guys um, at the Big Ten Media Day that we were emphasizing this game more. And, um, you know, everyone, everyone seemed to have a lot of questions about that in terms of how we were doing it. And I told you to trust me, we were doing it. And, um, you know, I mean, you go out there, you see how we played in that dominant fashion. Um, there you go. And Jim Harbaugh took a shot at Buckeye coach Ryan Day. There's definitely stuff that, you know, people said that spurred us on even more. Sure. Sometimes people that are standing on third base think they hit a triple, you know, but they didn't. Cade McNamara described the camaraderie of his team. You know, it's just, we're just a, just such a great group of guys who just care about each other. And, you know, it's a, we've really had the mentality of Michigan versus everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I, just, I just don't know what much to say other than I love these dudes. <laughs> like, really. Next, on the umgoblue.com 2021 Season Spectacular, Work in Progress. So, Michigan makes the college football playoffs for the first time, coming off a huge, blistering win in the Big Ten Championship game over Iowa, and the Wolverines head down to Miami. So, Clint, what were your thoughts prior to this game? Well, obviously we were, we were riding pretty high coming off of the uh, dominant victory over Ohio State and then another dominant victory over Iowa. Um, there was a, an argument, a, a, a serious, legitimate argument to be made that Michigan had uh, had a claim to the – number one seed for the college football playoff with, um, you know, with Alabama and Georgia splitting or, uh, you know, both having one loss at that point. So it was um, certainly, um, I would say high, high positive energy, high, high positive emotions for for the fan base and for us, uh, for me uh, in particular. And you looked at really, Georgia having a really, really monster of a defense and Michigan's strength being uh, on the offensive line. And it was kind of a clash of the Titans uh, up front with uh, that offensive line going against Georgia's defensive line. Would Michigan still be able to run the ball? And uh, if that kind of played out to a stalemate, then who, uh, who would be able to make some big plays either through the air on offense or maybe – steal some big plays uh, on defense and special teams. So you felt like um, going into it that Michigan had uh, had a good chance um, and, and and it was really going to be about whether the, uh, the Wolverines could continue to do what they had done the entire season. And we certainly didn't have any reason to believe that, that it wouldn't go well, uh, at least on the way into the game. So I was very excited. You know, it's one thing to go to a bowl game, which I've been fortunate enough to do over the last several years. And, you know, even back to the uh, national championship game back in 98. But 
the college football playoffs are a whole nother thing. And, and even the Big Ten championship game was unique in its own way. But the Orange Bowl was just a whole nother level. So Michigan heads into the game. And right out of the gate, things go bad, right? Um, they end up trailing 14 to nothing in that first quarter. And then uh, it's 27 to 3 at halftime. And as excited as I was being there, it really took the wind out of out of the sails. And, you know, the thing that's really frustrating is that even though we were in SEC country, it was a very raucous Michigan crowd. Definitely uh, many Wolverine fans were there. They were supporting the team. And in a lot of ways, it kind of reminded me of a flip of the Big Ten championship game. You know, there were Iowa fans in Indianapolis, but the way that game went, they got shut down, uh, you know, pretty quickly. And watching the Orange Bowl being there, it, it felt like, oh, this is this is must be how Iowa felt. Well, for for us personally in our house, it was it was like the purest form of of uh, Michigan football negative emotion, right? Because my kids were were they were cranked up, right? They were really riding high coming off of uh, the the Big Ten championship game and all of the playoff conversation. My oldest is uh, had just turned eight years old in December, just before the game. Um, his little brother had just turned six in September. Uh, his birthday was on the same day as the, the Washington games where I couldn't be there with you. And, uh, our youngest was four years old at the time. And, uh, they were all so, so fired up, right. To, to, to be, uh, you know, at a new year's Eve party with our family and, uh, watching the game and, and they'd gotten used to watching Michigan win. And, uh, when it started poorly, um, especially when Georgia got the second touchdown in the first quarter, they absolutely crashed. You know, my my oldest had a really hard time uh, even watching the game and uh, and keeping it together. So he was just he was just distraught and devastated. So I actually spent most of the first quarter uh, kind of consoling my kids as, as things were going the, not the way that they expected. And, uh, and it, it helped, it helped kind of, for me, I had to be a parent and, and <laughs> more than a fan. So that was helpful, helpful for me because I would have probably been stomping around and, and, and frustrated just as much. So, uh, put it into perspective for myself. Um, that was, you know, it was, it was kind of funny that way because it was just, it was exactly the way that I felt, you know, but they, because they're young and <laughs> because they're kids, they got to react and, and, uh, and throw the full tantrum. They and, and they took advantage of that. They definitely did throw that tantrum. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned your experience watching it with your kids. Um, my kids traveled with me down for their first bowl game, and they were really excited. Now, understand, my kids are a little bit older. They were 23 and 16 at the time of the game. And understand, for most of their lifetime, they have lived through Michigan struggling, right? When I talk mm. about the glory years of beating Ohio State like a rented mule, they just kind of go, huh. You know, I always tell the story about my youngest one. Um, she always wanted to go to Disneyland 
and there's Cars World there, right? And she was a, she loved the movie Cars. And I would always tell her, well, next year when Michigan gets back to the Rose Bowl and every season it would be, are we still on track for the Rose Bowl? And then, of course, you know, some seasons uh, that ended rather quickly. Uh, those chances ended very quickly. They have a, a certain amount of, of cynicism. Um, and, you know, their thoughts on the game was that the uh, uh, Hard Rock Stadium had really good food, you know. So, mm -hmm. again, um, again, good memories, wish the football game had better memories, you know, the, on the field. But, you know, good memories. It's funny that you mentioned how frustrated your kids get. When I was younger, okay, meaning like, uh, you know, just a little bit older than them, I would get so wound up for big games that I actually couldn't watch. I couldn't watch the game until I knew, like, and I'm, I'm talking like, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, right? Really big games. Mm -hmm. I couldn't watch the game until after I knew the result. I would literally, because I would get so upset, I would pound tables, I would get upset, I'd scream. So, um, you know, some of my fondest memories of uh, when I was younger, you know, uh, late 70s, early 80s, Michigan beating Ohio State was getting the uh, the update every quarter. I'd be in the backyard playing wiffle ball or doing anything to distract myself from the game. So uh, I I've learned to channel my negative emotions, but they are still there. So exactly, exactly. That's what that's why it was it was a, a useful distraction to try to actually divert some attention toward helping them uh, kind of get through it. Um, you know they because of their ages, right, that the, the recent um, struggles for Michigan's program were, um, you know, not, not quite as deeply ingrained as your kids who are, you know, you know, grown now. But, uh, you know, that, that 2020 season when Michigan went two and four, of course, they, they had started to kind of, uh, you know, they started to compare Michigan more to their, uh, their understanding of the Lions, which was, you know, for us personally, of course, was really brutal having the Michigan football program and the Lions football program mentioned in the same breath with my kids was was painful, but uh, hard to argue the logic based on the window that they had seen uh, and what they what they had missed, obviously, when they were too young to really see some of the more successful times, uh, even early in the Harbaugh era. So um, 2021 was certainly a, a huge deal just to kind of um, reset the reset the scale for my kids, but this game specifically was a uh, a crash back to reality, you know. And it wasn't um, in terms of actually actual football, right? I, you have to first of all, of course, tip your tip your cap to Georgia. I mean, they were they were tremendous. They were tremendous. You know, that defense is uh, historically great. In, in an era of offensive football and, and the rules and the, the culture of college football and even in the NFL, all geared towards offense and, and statistics and putting points on the board. And that defense really, you know, ha had kind of an old time feel of, of leading a, a team to a national title. So, you know, that, that was no slouch <laughs> um, from, from Georgia that, that beat Michigan and put it on them pretty good. And, and there's still kind of a, a noticeable gap um, in in recruiting and talent, and uh, that's something that is a, is a hot button issue uh, through the off season, you know, currently. Um, but 
you can see you can see that the difference where Georgia has been uh, traditionally over the last you know, over Kirby Smart's tenure, they're recruiting classes that are ranked in the top five and usually uh, first, second, or third. Whereas Michigan has been good, right? Traditionally, right around the top ten. And you can see what that means in terms of uh, talent on the field and, and big playability, uh, especially with what uh, Georgia turned out on defense. I think they had five guys drafted off of that defensive unit. So um, starts there, right? Starts there that Georgia was just really good. <clears throat> Michigan, I don't think, played their best game. They didn't execute very uh, cleanly on either side of the ball. I mean, the Michigan's first time uh, having the ball you know, seven plays in 34 yards and uh, and got stopped on fourth down. Um, not being able to pick up that fourth down was uh, kind of a, a harbinger of things to come. Just Michigan had been so successful and efficient, moving the chains, kind of uh, using that success rate metric that we keep an eye on from the SP Plus methodology. Um, this one, this game just wasn't good. Michigan ended up with a 30% success rate um, in this game, even after you know, even after we had gotten into the second half when uh, Georgia kind of was cruising home to, to the victory, Michigan kind of increased that success rate up to 30%. So um, there, there was a lot to a lot to learn, I think, uh, in, in studying the gap of what Georgia did well and Michigan did not do well. But uh, in terms of overall game flavor, um, it was it was a struggle once um, once. Georgia scored on their first drive, kind of 80 yards, pretty clean, straight down the field. Michigan, you know, meekly goes out, <laughs> uh, seven plays, 34 yards, and turns it over on downs. And then Georgia comes back, scores another touchdown. And it just felt uh, felt like the tables were kind of tilted pretty steeply towards Georgia at that point. So score was 27 to 3 at halftime. Third quarter was scoreless, and then uh, Georgia tacked on another touchdown. Michigan finally scored a touchdown and converted the two-point conversion, and for a final of thirty-four to eleven. What struck me about this game, actually, my, my one of my biggest memories, other than disappointment at the actual game, was the feeling to the run-up. Okay, and and hearing the players talk. Coach Harbaugh had some great things to say about, you know, the program. Just uh, really, really honored to be the coach here. And uh, it's always been a big team effort. I mean, that's the uh, thing that I learned as a player here. I mean, started by Bo Schembechler. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's all about the team, the team, the team, the team. And, uh, and we try to continue that, you know, that idea, that, that, that legacy created some new buzz uh this 2021 team uh yeah let's face it it had died down a little bit and i do feel like our guys have uh have created some new buzz and it's been a good thing but what struck me about following it right and listening to the players is i got a sense you know there's a phrase bright lights big city right indianapolis they were locked on and focused i kind of felt they were a little wowed by being in the college football playoffs. And I think that they had so readily handled Iowa that, and again, this is just my sense watching the team that they thought they were kind of complete. Right. 
And the thing that I noticed in in listening to the Georgia players, they got kicked in the face and realized they needed to up their game that Michigan was a a mile marker on on a journey they wanted to get to back to Alabama, right? And not that they overlooked Michigan because obviously didn't, but because of the struggle that Georgia had, and, and listen, the talent. There's no doubt. You know they were they were talented. Um, you know, a few years back when Michigan played Alabama in a bowl game, I was talking to some of the Alabama players, and hey, how does this compare to the college football playoffs? And there was this look on their face where, like, they went to say something, and then they got politically correct. Well, you know, this is great, and. You know, it's real, really excited to be here, but but it didn't ring true, right? When you're a team like Alabama, if you're not in the college football playoffs, if you're not playing for a national championship, uh, it's it's a disappointment. And you know, one of the things, you know, the one of the players that said is like, listen, this is a work trip, okay, and this isn't the trip we wanted to be on. And it really struck me because in that game, remember, Michigan, you know. Kind of played well, uh, you know, through most of the game. And then Alabama just kind of snapped to it and said, yeah, here we go. Boom. Okay. And I had a sense listening to the Georgia players and listening to the Michigan players that um, the Georgia, Georgia was determined to get back and prove that they could beat Alabama. And, and this isn't, this isn't, questioning their Michigan's lack of preparation. It's just, you've never been there before. Right. And, you know, from a coaching standpoint and from a, uh, you know, football and, you know, analyzing football from, you know, the way we do is you got to learn to win. Right. Mm -hmm. And it really struck me watching this game was, yeah, maybe Iowa wasn't the best prep for this game. Okay. And um, I think, and listen, Michigan's not the only team from the Big Ten to, to I think, uh, not be helped by uh, who who they're facing in the Big Ten championship. So, um, as the conference kind of refocuses, um, you know, and reorganizes, that's something I think they're going to have to take into account. Uh, okay. Because if Michigan got trucked by Georgia, I can't imagine what would have happened to Iowa. Okay. Yeah. I just can't imagine. So again, um, watching this game, disappointed, but what I was really happy to hear. You know, congratulations to uh, Georgia. They played uh, played a heck of a game in all phases. Um, Love the way our guys fought. Um, you know, wasn't uh, wasn't our best, but uh, certainly was theirs. They uh, they played extremely well. Yeah, it was a great season. Um, you know, to me, it's one of the one of the best seasons uh, in Michigan football history. We were trying to make it greater. You know, we were trying to make it greater tonight, but it was still uh, still a great season. Though this team won't be together fully next year, um, it's still a beginning for this team. Um, this is about when uh, when our guys, my Josh Ross to my left here, and Cade McNamara to my right. Uh, it's when it began last year, and it'll begin anew uh, this year. 
start of a new year. Uh, proud of them. Um, the way they kept fighting, I mean, I could see they were, uh, you know, they, there's no, never any quitting. These guys, it's a very, uh, very resilient ton of resolve with this football team. And you know, we'll, uh, as I said, it's a, to me, it feels like a start. It feels like a beginning. You know, obviously it's very disappointing right now. I mean, we gave, you know, everything we got and uh, we got beat tonight, but I think, you know, once, you know, once we give it a little time, we'll be able to appreciate a lot of the great things we were able to accomplish this season. But, you know, after a loss, you're obviously going to take it hard and, you know, we're a competitive group, but um, that's not going to take away from, you know, the great things that we had this season as well. Yeah, to piggyback what Kay said, um, you know, we did accomplish great things this year. And although it is a disappointing way to end it, um, we did do great things this year. And we can't forget about that. Um, today we, we got our play and uh, it wasn't the, it wasn't the best game for us. But as far as the season, as far as a whole, we had so many great moments with our group, uh, such a great culture that we built here. And like Coach Harbaugh says, uh, it's just the beginning of what we've built, what we are building and uh, moving on to next year. There is a stake in the ground that things have changed, right? Mm -hmm. And especially among the younger players, they're like, okay, we learned it, it was disappointment, but we learned a lesson here. We need to up our game. And it, as you said, you know, the recruiting needs to be up and we need to look at players in the transfer portal and Michigan needs to um, continue leveraging NIL. But it, it what, what struck me in this is this wasn't an end. Okay. This was a pause. And it's funny. Like I felt like I was watching a movie and it's like, well, okay. There's definitely a sequel here. And for me watching, you know, having been able to watch this ride this season, and hearing what the players have said and hearing what the coaches have said, uh, I'm really hoping that this is the pivot, right? This is the, okay, um, the team understands the assignment. They know, hey, this is what it takes to beat Ohio State. This is, what it this is the level of effort that it takes to win the Big Ten. Now, if we want to not just make the college football playoffs, but continue to beat Ohio State, continue to win the Big Ten Championship, and have success in the college football playoffs, we all need to up our game. And I think that's how I felt leaving the, the, the Orange Bowl. And, and, you know, one other kind of uh, trivia point about the Orange Bowl. So you go there, and the outside was all tore up. Okay. And I was, I was kind of, I got a little annoyed by it, a little surprised by it. And the reason why is that they were getting ready to host an F1 race. Okay. Uh, you know, which they, which they did. So they were getting ready to, to reconfigure things so they could do that. And I remember th walking out of the stadium thinking, you know, this is a really nice stadium, but they're prepping for something bigger. And that's how I felt about Michigan. I walked out and I'm like, yeah, Michigan, there's a lot of work here, but it's work up. Okay. It's ascending work, not, oh, we got to fix the foundation. Oh, we got a leak here. We got a leak there. And um, I'll, often in the last few years, it's it's been, um, you know, uh, it hasn't felt that way. So in a weird way, I felt 
invigorated. I felt good leaving the stadium because, yeah, I'm disappointed they didn't make, uh, they didn't win and, and possibly go on and win a national championship. But sometimes, you know, getting thumped in the face helps. And, and I, I, that's how I, that's how I took this game. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned a really key word there, um, with Michigan being an ascending program at this point, right? They had just taken a huge step forward by beating Ohio state to win the East division in the same season, took the next step, um, which seems to be kind of an annual rite of passage for the big 10 East champion to beat the West champion and win the big 10 title. They did both of those things. Those are huge steps forward. First times for, for anybody that's involved in the Michigan program right now. Right. Any of the players and coaches that are there right now, those were steps forward and new things, you know, breaking new ground, so to speak. And Georgia, Georgia didn't just, uh, you know, appear out of thin air uh, with the team and the program that they had in 2021. Right. They, they were in the same boat of being an ascending program and not being able to uh, to get past the giant of Alabama and the SEC then eventually cracked the uh, the college football playoff egg, got into the field, and uh, even held a lead uh, against Alabama in the national title game um, until some miraculous comeback uh, effort by uh, Tunga Tayavailoa. So um, by Tua Tunga Vailoa, excuse me. So that team had been there and seen it, right? That program had, had been there and seen it. And that level of experience and, and kind of program maturity um, w- was a big gap as well, right? And outside of just uh, these players and these coaches. But, yeah, there, there was definitely a difference in program maturity. And you're right that you could feel, you know, the tangible optimism from the whole program that this season was a major step forward and that it's also useful to know how big that next gap is, right? If you're going to climb that next step or, or move up one more rung on the ladder, I think they have a firm grasp of understanding how far out that is and what, and, and we'll see if they know what it takes in terms of offseason effort and leadership within the locker room to kind of take that next step. Really the 21 season was, was pretty clearly defined by um, a deep uh, kind of hunger from the guys that, that were older um, and had been in the program. Aiden Hutchinson um, recommitting himself and coming back to play another season specifically to, to change his legacy um, and the legacy of, of the class of football players that he had come in with. You know, the guys like Brad Hawkins, Josh Ross, um, those guys – Right, had that same kind of hunger, and, and one of the lasting images that I remember from the Orange Bowl was afterward, um, as Georgia was kind of celebrating and 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 they were kind of moving forward with the Orange Bowl uh, trophy presentation. Some of those younger guys, guys like Blake Corum, Andrell Anthony, JJ McCarthy, you know, there, there's some some lasting images of those guys kind of staying out there to watch that uh that georgia celebration right kind of soaking that in and and you can you kind of get the sense that they're trying to capture that same uh lasting motivation that same kind of uh hunger pang um 
to, to really drive them through this off season and then into fall camp here coming up in 22. So that for me, the lasting image on a positive note um, was exactly kind of embodied what you said about the, uh, the ascending program was seeing those young guys um, really making a conscious effort to stay there and see it right. Kind of don't take your eyes off of it and uh, embrace the, uh, the hurt of that moment and then try to capture that and, and turn that into the same type of hunger that we saw from the 21 player leaders, especially guys like Hutchinson and uh, Josh Ross. And uh, I think that that means something, you know, and it's something that uh, I'm going to hold on to and, and hopefully see those guys taking, uh, taking steps forward into leadership roles uh, the same way that we saw in this 21 season. You made a great point. Georgia did not just appear fully formed, okay? There's a process to winning. Alabama's the same way. I mean, Clint, you and I both remember that it wasn't so long ago that Alabama was looking to Rich Rodriguez to be their coach, okay, mm-hmm. which we look back on and, and kind of chuckle. I think people forget what a top – prospect coaching prospect he was there for a while mm-hmm. but you know Alabama was in for them the doldrums right and they made choices and made hires and built up and you know that is what we hope Michigan is in the process of doing right now and I think over the last decade or so um, Michigan has been eclipsed by Ohio State, just the struggling to get past the Buckeyes. But the point is, is that the Buckeyes aren't the end goal. Okay. They're part, they're, they're one of the dirt. They're one of the stops on the trip, but the goal is big 10 champions as a springboard into the college football playoffs on the way to a national championship. And I think that this is one of the things that, um, baffles me living here in the state where you have, listen, I, I'm bummed we lost to Michigan State, right? But I wouldn't trade the Michigan State loss for losing to Ohio State, okay? Like, in the grand, you know, looking at the season, hey, if if we lose to Michigan State every year, thump Ohio State, and next year win a national championship, I can live with that, Okay. What's funny to me here is that there are a huge percentage of Michigan State fans, oh, we beat Michigan, that's all we care about, right? And and I kind of, listen, I want to beat Michigan State. They bug me. I always say, you know, they're, uh, you know, people say Michigan State's the little brother. I consider them the uh, unliked, uh, you know, uh, brother-in-law, right? The, you know, I, I don't like them, right? I want to, I, you know, I don't like them at all. Um, I like my brothers, okay? I don't I, I don't consider them little brothers. But the point is, is they're just annoying, right? If they can be just annoying and we go on to bigger things, and I think that's what um, Michigan needs to do, is they need to continue ascending toward that higher goal. And then the other goal will take care of themselves, okay? Um, so it's, it's, it's one of those things where uh, it's – it may be uh, 
you know, I, I think it's weird to think, man, we got thumped. Boy, that was good. And I think you made a great point about those younger players watching it. It should hurt. Suck it up. Remember how much it hurts. And, you know, when you're in the weight room, remember what it felt like to be on the other side of, you know, the thumping you gave Iowa. You got it served right up. Take a belly full and use that as motivation moving forward. So, again, um, so any other thoughts on the game itself? I the other only other thing I think is notable, right, was the the quarterback switch at halftime. JJ McCarthy plays quarterback in the second half. Uh, Cade McNamara did not have a great first half, but uh, I I believe Harbaugh is word again. I, I've I've said this many times. Uh, I think Jim Harbaugh has proven that when he says something, it's it's typically true and it's typically uh, pretty indicative of what he's thinking. That uh, when when Jim Harbaugh is talking. He uh, there's he either doesn't say what you want him to say, but if he does say something, uh, it, it's true and it and it, it it comes straight from uh, what he believes. And after the game, when pressed about uh, the quarterback switch, uh, he said that you know JJ's mobility and um, and his impact on the run game with uh, with the option plays um, that had become kind of a special package for McCarthy. Um, that was, that was the biggest part of it. And then also they were having trouble blocking the, the Georgia front and they needed, uh, they needed JJ to be able to get the heck out of there and, uh, and still try to make plays. So, um, there was no implication that this was a, a hand, a, a passing of the torch, so to speak from Cade McNamara to JJ McCarthy. We know we have two great quarterbacks. Uh, we may no make no apologies, make no apologies for that. Um, I felt as the, we just weren't, uh, the protection <clears throat> just wasn't as good as it, um, as it, uh, needed to be. And, uh, JJ gave us more of a chance to, to, uh, escape it, avoid it and, uh, and run, uh, because that's, that's, uh, that was the reason we made that, made that switch. But like I said, we got two great quarterbacks. We make no apology for that. And, uh, it was it was game specific, especially with um, the struggles up front uh, against that Georgia defense. And uh, I have no reason not to believe Harbaugh when he says something that that is that explicit. So um, I don't expect um, that to be a changing of the guard, right? And then into the off season, we know JJ McCarthy had some. Uh, shoulder soreness and they considered surgery and chose to just kind of uh, go through a rehab route. And uh, we're about to enter, you know, a true, another quarterback competition in fall camp. But uh, we know that right. Cade McNamara is still considered the starter and uh, it's, it's going to be a battle for, for JJ McCarthy to try to take that spot. But we also know that, you know, both of those guys are going to play quarterback this year. It's, at least as much JJ McCarthy is going to get at least as much playing time as he did last year. And I would guess that he gets a little bit more um, regardless of who ends up being the starter. So um, I thought that was notable. Right. And I, I think even one layer on top of that, it's notable that Harbaugh was clear that it was game specific. That did not necessarily mean a program switch at quarterback. There's always been this contrived controversy about the quarterback, right? Mm -hmm. 
it goes with the position. Um, you mentioned the lion, you know, our, our pain with the lions being the local NFL team here, you know, they always say the most popular guy on the team is the backup quarterback. Um, what's interesting this year is even with Cade McNamara performing at a pretty high level, uh, you still had the, the birding, the, uh, the questions about JJ. So in one way, if he had come in in the second half and just lit the world on fire, right? As great as that would have been for the game, it would have led to a lot more drama in the off season. Um, Cause I agree with you. Cade McNamara is the quarterback and we'll have to see how this plays out. I do agree. We'll see JJ more, uh, but in the direct aftermath of the orange bowl, it's, it's, it's like right then, right? Like in the run up to the, to the orange bowl, you had Harbaugh give a, a quote about how much he enjoyed coaching at Michigan. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, you asked me before, but I mean, I I'd do it for free. I would do this job for free. Um, you know, just love it. So whether it's the first day, first game, um, or position we're, we're in now, which, uh, we're very, uh, you know, that's feel really, really happy about that. We've been, I guess I just enjoy the ride the whole time. You know, it's, uh, Every day is a, every day is a, uh, you know, is a blessing and um, happy for it and blessed for it. And then within days, the rumors start about Harbaugh possibly leaving for the NFL. And this has been a typical off-season ritual for us at Michigan. Um, I know when Harbaugh came to Michigan. Uh, I was uh, writing for Bleacher Report at the time, and there were NFL guys, NFL writers, who were insisting there was no way he was ever going to come to Michigan, even when I knew pretty 99% sure that it was locked in, right? And I remember talking to my editor, and he's like, well, you're just a local guy. The NFL guys, uh, you know, don't think there's any chance. And you kind of roll your eyes. So, um understanding that there's a special relationship between Harbaugh and Michigan. And, but despite that, again, you know, uh, with the contract drama in the previous off season after two and four um, bubbles up again. And, you know, there were rumors about the Raiders. There were, there was rumors about Miami. There were rumors about, uh, you know, any number of teams, but the one that, that, allegedly came to closest to fruition was him going to Minnesota. Um, what were your thoughts while that was going on? Well, it, I, I always, um, I never completely dismissed the, the NFL talk uh, on an annual basis uh, until again, you know, to sound a little bit like a broken record when, when Harbaugh addresses something directly, it, it tends to be true or at least uh, directly, uh, a result of what he's taught, what he believes, right? So sometimes it ends up wrong, but it is what he believed at the time. I, I still, I have never felt misled directly by by Jim Harbaugh uh, in his tenure at, at Michigan. So, um, in the other years where the rumors would swirl, Harbaugh would come out and say, 
you know, that's absolutely false. This is all being started by our enemies, right, and being used as negative recruiting. He addressed it directly in the past. And this year, when it came out, when the rumors started swirling, he didn't speak directly to the media about it, but there, he had spoken to recruits and to people um, within the program that that this was a legitimate uh, um uh, not a concern at the time, but this was something that he was going to pursue. He was going to see what the NFL market was for him. And uh, I believed it. You know, I, that's, I, I thought that he was seriously kicking the tires on, on what it meant to, uh, you know, to reenter the NFL at this point. And um, a lot of the drama then circled around was he upset about the pay cut? You know, why is he doing this? You know, is it, is it, this, is it that, is it, is it, this his last chance, right? Is, does he see this as his, uh, his stock as a coach, you know, maybe being the highest that it's been in a long time coming off a great season. Um, so this is his best chance. And um, through all the hoopla and even, you know, he, he flies to Minneapolis and does an interview with the Vikings and it, it doesn't turn into a job. And, and we still don't know whether he had a change of heart or whether the Vikings didn't want him or some mutual agreement that this wasn't a good fit. You know, some who knows what at some point maybe we'll get some uh, some insight there. And, and I'd be fascinated to hear it, but it doesn't turn into a job offer. Right. And, and Harbaugh calls Ward Manuel and tells him. You know, I, I'm not going to be with the Vikings. I'm going to be the coach at Michigan next year. Let's 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 start working on a new contract. And and at that point forward, it's uh, you know, he's Michigan's coach again. And then then he's put into an awkward spot where he has to now explain. So what was that all about, Jim? You know, like what was all the pro Michigan talk in December and January and all the, the love fest, and now late January and February. You're uh, you're on a plane going to to Minneapolis and talking to the Vikings, and for most people, you know the 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 discomfort and awkwardness there would would probably bother them. But but Jim Harbaugh answered it, I thought, pretty simply. And uh, again, I, I tend to believe what he says when he when he addresses something explicitly. He said, you know, when I came to Michigan, I signed a seven year contract, and it was always part of my plan to see what options were out there at the end of this contract. And that's what I did. I went through the process. Um, and at the, uh, at the end of that process, I'm, I, I still want to be Michigan's head football coach and we've got a new contract at Michigan and I'm getting ready for the 22 season. And again, in the media, and I think, you know, I understand it, <laughs> you know, people don't tend not to believe that, uh, that some, that's, that's too oversimplified, right. And that it's a convenient talking point for Harbaugh, but I believe that he's just that, uh, that he's just that kind of eclectic. He's, 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 he can really compartmentalize these things for himself. Um, and I think that he did do that. I think that, that if it was always part of his plan to check it out and see what happens, then he did. 
he now feels like he went through that process and checked that box for himself professionally. And uh, I have no doubt that he is capable of throwing himself 100% back into being Michigan's head coach immediately and uh, likely for exactly the terms of the contract that, that he's currently under with Ward Manuel and, and the Michigan Athletic Department. So um, I understand the skepticism because uh, 99 out of 100 people would probably um, you know, be looking for an easy way out with, uh, with having to address that stuff in the media. But I, I tend to believe Harbaugh is speaking uh, directly from the heart when, when he is explicitly, it, it, when he addresses something explicit like that, um, he's, he's until, other, until something is proven otherwise, I don't feel misled at all through even this process. Now, that doesn't mean that I was happy about it right i certainly was nervous and wanted harbaugh to stay in michigan and would have been uh you know frustrated and upset had he gone to the vikings um but i don't feel misled i don't feel like there was anything dishonest or or underhanded there um i don't question his uh his commitment to the current job and, and to to the university and uh i think that he also for as as weird as it would be for most people to be in that spot i do think that he understands some of the problems that that job search uh, created for himself right there was there was a little bit of he created a little bit of drama and negativity on the tail end of a season that was almost all positivity right so i think he knows that he's created a mountain for himself to to kind of climb um that drama has continued into the recruiting cycle this year, right? Michigan's current recruiting uh, class is, is ranked well below where they have been traditionally at this time of the year, but there's still a lot of time and we'll see, we'll see where things end up. Um, I don't get the sense that, uh, that there's any long-term concern here from people inside the program. So um, I will, I will wait and see uh, what the results are. But uh, as of right now, I think it's it, it's a problem that he created for himself. And I think that he's also capable of solving that problem. So we'll see. OK, so observing Jim Harbaugh for his entire career. I believe. Fervently that in the back of his head. It drives him crazy that he was that close to winning Super Bowl and didn't get it done. OK. And just knowing how competitive he is and versus his own brother. Okay. I, I just, I visualized this scene of them getting together on holidays and uh, you know, John wrapping that Super Bowl ring on the table, just the way they are. Okay. So I believe that, that someday Jim, you know, might want to check that box. Okay. As you've said many times, he had, he continues to live up to his word. He's been here longer than I thought he would be, okay? I hope he stays. What was interesting to me is after the two and four year, there was a huge contingent of the fan base who, who would have been fine with him leaving. And then after this season, when the rumors started going around, um, you know, as the wheel turned, you know, how the wheel turns. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. um, 
so with all that said, I believe that it's always a slight possibility, right? But from talking to people around him and just looking at his previous experience in the NFL, there are there are situations that he's going to want to avoid, okay? There are certain criteria he's going to want in a job. And um, for a lot of reasons, okay, I was not super concerned with him going to the NFL until the Las Vegas job showed up, okay? Um, the Las Vegas job checks a lot of boxes. He has a history with the organization, um, you know, he has homes in California, um, and the Raiders are crazy enough to throw the keys to uh, to a new coach. Because one of the other things I think Coach, uh, coach Arbaugh wants is he wants control. He either wants to be coach and GM or have the GM underneath his, his thumb. Because he's, you, know, you can look back at what happened in San Francisco. So what do they say in the NFL? If you win, you write your ticket. He won, and they couldn't wait to get rid of him because of the friction between him and the front office. So for that reason, okay, he's not going to go to, to Jacksonville. He's not going to go to some bottom-dwelling team that's going to take five, ten years to build, right? Um, so again, when I wasn't really worried until the Vegas job opened up unexpectedly, right? Um, I was really baffled when... You know, it came, well, he's in Minnesota, and if he gets, you know, it got leaked out. If he gets an offer, he's going to take it. And I went, you know what? That doesn't check the boxes for me, okay? Um, and, and so I thought, well, if you take this job, you just really want to get back to the NFL because I don't view the Minnesota job as being particularly good, okay? Um, so, but hey, so in retrospect, I think, hey, they wanted to talk to him. He went and listened. I think most of this chatter, okay, was to get leverage in his contract negotiations. And you know what? Uh, we don't know what happened in Minnesota. I think he played a game of chicken with Ward Manuel. Uh, I, you know, there was an offer on the table, and I think I think Jim would have been fine if somehow the offer had been up to keep him from going to Minnesota for that interview. And I have to say that um, – Ward Manuel has earned my respect as, you know, stone cold. Here's the deal. You want to be here? Great. You don't want to be here? Uh, we'll find somebody else. This is Michigan. And, uh, you know, think about the message that sends to the entire athletic department. If he's willing to, to play chicken with the football coach, well, when the baseball coach wants to leave, okay, have a great day. Loved you were here. Next, Right. And, and I mean that in a good way, is that, listen, this is Michigan. We're going to find good people. And if you don't want to be here, okay. So, um, so again, interesting process. Um, as you said, it's created a little bit of, of ripples in the water. But, you know, with the situation changing so much with, uh, you know, the NIL coming into focus and the transfer portal, I'm not overly concerned about recruiting yet. Okay. And I say yet, um, mm -hmm. I know that is a, uh, uh, you know, that doesn't go, you know, with, with everybody wants to talk about recruiting every day of the year. I'm like, eh, you know, mm -hmm. show me when they show me the guys on the field. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm much more concerned with 
okay, I look at recruiting as like in two year chunks. Okay. If we have another, like if we're having this conversation next year, that's a problem. Okay. Um, I am, you know, also there's other things impacting recruiting. Okay. You know, and, and, you know, in the aftermath of the orange bowl, you know, we lose Mike McDonald. Okay. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting for me, that is the most interesting. What if, okay. Because he came in, there was a lot of skepticism. He came in like a breath of fresh air on the defense had an amazing season, but it's really hard to repeat. Okay. And, and, you know, one of the things I love about watching football is that it's, it's all out there. Okay. You can have the most amazing schemes. You might catch somebody by surprise. And in the off season, they're going to have 10 guys breaking down tape and they're going to know exactly what you do. And they're going to have different ways to attack it. So it's, it's constant move and counter move. It's, Football is some of the most pure competition that you will see from season to season, right? Mm-hmm. Not only do you have professional guys on your team breaking it down, you got guys like us. You got everybody in the world, you know, every college football fan or every football fan in the world can look at the, can break down your game tape and, and analyze it, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, I look at Mike McNamara and I go, well, that was nice. Was it a fluke? Was it a one time? We're not going to know, Okay because you're one and done. Okay. And, and, and again, unfortunate, he went back to Baltimore, but that's how it works. Right. I remember also, right. When Jim Harbaugh hired Mike McDonald from his brother, um, John and the Ravens, the, they said that the conversation was this guy, Mike McDonald is probably going to be my next defensive coordinator. You know, this is the guy. This is, you know, I'm not giving you, uh, you know, the bottom of the barrel. I'm giving you the guy that I've got waiting in the wings to take over for the Ravens. Um, you know, go, you know, go help my brother at, at Michigan. You know, they both, both Harbaugh's communicated that in some way. And I'm paraphrasing, but it was, it was said on both sides and acknowledged, right? I think what the happenstance of the 21 season that uh, that that was the biggest factor in Mike McDonald leaving was how poorly <laughs> uh, Wink Martindale had a season in Baltimore. Right, Baltimore's defense being not up to snuff uh, in 2021 is the biggest thing that we didn't see coming, and they probably did not think that McDonald's return to Baltimore would be one season later, probably two or three seasons later. So, Clint, what's interesting about that is. Was Mike McDonald the difference on the Baltimore side? Was subtracting him from the equation one of the reasons? That, and you wonder, did Baltimore realize that, right? But but you're right. You know, it's great to see, you know, um, the coaches Harbaugh, right, loaning each other coaches the way, you know, I might uh, borrow my, my brother's pickup truck, right? You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of funny. Um, but again, but for me, that's a what if, right? So the issue you have with McDonald leaving is you don't know his impact on recruiting. And again, it's a big what if of, you know, here he goes back to the NFL and, you know, if the if the defense struggles, is it because he wasn't there or is it because, you know, other teams have figured it out and we don't know what impact he had on, on recruiting. 
So mm-hmm. we have that change. We also have Josh Gaddis leaving. So there's a there's a lot of churn here, and I don't think it's necessarily bad. Okay, when when you have an ascending program and you have a good quality coaching staff, they're going to get opportunities in other places. But now it's up to Harbaugh to replenish the stocks and make sure that the program continues to ascend. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I, I, can, I attribute Josh Gaddis's exit uh, as the, the biggest casualty of Harbaugh's, um, you know, going through the process with the NFL. I, I think Josh Gaddis, I, when Josh Gaddis won the, um, the award for assistant coach of the year, um, his acceptance speech was, was very emotional and, and heartwarming and was, he was very grateful to, to Jim Harbaugh for giving him the chance to be uh, the offensive coordinator and for sticking by him uh, even through some, some tough times, right? It was, a, it was a pretty typical acceptance speech, but it felt exceedingly um, positive and, and genuine from, from Josh Gaddis. And it's a number of weeks, six or seven weeks later, Josh is on the way to Miami. And the what we what I've what we have been able to pick up in terms of why that happened was was that Josh Gaddis didn't feel wanted by the program. I don't. I think that that is some combination of if Har- Harbaugh might really go to the NFL, he's not taking me with him. So clearly, I'm not his favorite. There's a, a part of that, and it's certainly oversimplified. And I'm not trying to put words into Josh Gaddis's mouth by any stretch of the imagination, but just in terms of a concept, maybe Harbaugh wasn't taking Gaddis with him to the NFL, and that made Gaddis reconsider where he was on the pecking order of his staff. Also, Josh Gaddis may have considered himself a, a candidate to replace Jim Harbaugh if he went to the NFL. He may have reached out and tried to find out <clears throat> whether he was going to get an interview or what his chances were of being named the next head coach if Harbaugh were to have moved on to the NFL. And maybe that feedback didn't go the way that he wanted. So we, we know that Gaddis was uh, frustrated with how where he felt he was in the pecking order, whether that was on Harbaugh's pecking order, the university's pecking order, or some combination of that, um, Josh Gaddis felt that he he had to really look around and uh, kind of leverage a, a great season for him and and see what professional opportunities were there for him. And like you said, um, the only thing that's unique about 21 is that there was a little bit of drama with Harbaugh's uh, interview with the Vikings. You know, other than that, uh, Josh Gaddis looking around to try to make some more money nationally after a great season. That's pretty normal. That's pretty normal. And you see when you recruit great coaches and they have success, they're going to continue to move on. So he made kind of a lateral move and is also now the offensive coordinator for Miami, but it was a significant pay increase. But I I think that there was a little bit of uh, feedback that he got through that, uh, through that phase in the early, early part of 2022 when Harbaugh was considering his NFL options. I think something happened where Josh Gaddis was not 
um, fully satisfied with, with the feedback that he got in some way. And that, that really had an effect on, on how seriously he was looking for other jobs. And I, I, I have no, no real ill will towards Josh Caddis. I think he did a great job uh, as Michigan's offensive coordinator. I, I, you know, I, I wish him the best. Um, I'm not a big fan of Miami, so I, I, I probably end up rooting against him in most games. But uh, as a professional and as a coach, I like Josh Gaddis. I, uh, I hope that he ends up circling back around and, and is tied to the program again sometime in the future. I would be fine with that. I, I think he was great. So um, it'll be interesting. We'll see if any other new information comes out. Uh, again, there's a little bit of drama and intrigue there, but in the grand scheme of things, a really good coach took a pay raise, went to another big program, and uh, we'll see how he does. And I agree with your analysis. I think that um, my gut tells me that it was the latter, that he um, consider, you know, again, hey, am I going to be a viable head coaching candidate here? And um, – you know, I'd be shocked if he wouldn't get an interview, right? But mm-hmm. it may have been a cursory interview. And again, it's, um, you know, I wouldn't be, and again, I wouldn't be surprised, right? Looking at what we've seen with other coaching situations at Michigan is, hey, we're going to look, we're, we're going to do a national search, right? You're not going to have the inside rail here. So we won't know for sure. But again, I I, I thought, uh you know, I thought Josh Gaddis, uh, you know, really came into into his own this last season, and again, no ill will. So, but again, I think that um, to you had the drama with Harbaugh in the off season, you had your two coordinators switch, so you know that adds a little bit of disruption to the recruiting process. Um, so uh, uh, now, one thing that I am surprised by that you think would help recruiting is. You know, Michigan had five players taken in the NFL draft. You had Aiden Hutchinson, you know, just light the draft up, right? Uh, Dax Hill also went in the first round. David Ajaba went in the second. Hassan Haskins went in the fourth. And Andrew Stuber in the seventh, right? And some guys also signed as, as free agents. So what I'm a little surprised at is that whatever drama in the coaching shuffle, you know, you know, having that many guys taken in the draft usually gives you a little bit of bump in recruiting. And, you know, I don't know that, I don't know that we haven't seen that bump, but we haven't realized it yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. The other, the other point that I've made to, to some folks that are kind of spitting some, some worn out uh, talking points to me, right. The, the idea was that coming off the 21 season, you should have this huge wave of momentum and Harbaugh squandered all that momentum with the Vikings and the interview process and the drama from the early, uh, in the winter time. And I, I, that there is a, a grain of truth there, right? That, that is, but it's oversimplified the momentum of beating Ohio state in November and then decimating Iowa in the big 10 championship game did turn into tangible results because the early signing period is in December and there were some monster flips on the current incoming recruiting class, all based on that positive momentum, right? So 
where Michigan's season peaked and crested after that Big Ten championship game in the first week of December, they did cash that momentum in to some big 2022 recruits. And, and we will probably see some of those guys on the field this season, right? Guys that would not have been in this recruiting class if that momentum did not turn into uh, tangible results. So I agree with you about recruiting. I'm not going to get too wrapped up in recruiting rankings and, and comparing high school kids that are 17 and 18 years old until they're in the program and, and we're talking about tangibly what they've done toward um, uh, producing at, at the college level, right? But it's not true that all of the momentum of November and December was squandered either, right? That did turn into tangible plus uh, action for for the program in the early signing period in December. So a lot of, lot of long way to go with recruiting. Um, and the other thing is the 22 season and their success uh, and results on the field will will be a, another big piece of how the, the the current recruiting class and the final rankings end up uh, end up shaking out. So there's not reason for panic at this point. Um, but the drama is legitimate. The issues that that come out of all of that swirl are legitimate. I, I think they're overblown a little bit in, in the media and within the Michigan fan base. I guess that's how I would summarize. Agreed. The way that you squander the success of last season is to uh, go back to eight and four this season. Right. I think that's the biggest thing. And, and again, you, you know, I'm pretty dismissive of, of recruiting hype in general. So um, again, lots to, you know, lots to track there. Um, it is interesting that not only, um, after the orange bowl did Harbaugh kind of put a, a stake down about where the program, you know, how he thought the program was going to build on, on last season, you know, when he had availability in the spring, he, you know, Harbaugh, who's generally pretty low key had this to say. The state of Michigan football is scary good right now. Yeah, just the whole, just the whole state of the program. I know, I know you. Um, as people that uh, want to keep different stories going, or love to hate us, or hate to love us, but I mean, we're just, we're having a blast. Uh, and if that's uh, the word tumultuous, I think was used uh, in the off season. Um, yeah, if if, if guys, uh, you know are bringing the energy and having fun and, and uh, the momentum that the program has, if that's, if that's uh, whatever word you want to put on that, that's, that's what we're having. And, it's, and that's scary good because uh, you know something's going to happen at some point. That quote, I got to tell you, puts a chill down my back right now. Harbaugh said we're scary good. I mean, bring it on, right? So I'm, I'm uh, you know, and again uh, – talked about the quarterback controversy or the quarterback situation that, you know, they have two great quarterbacks, but again, Michigan looks scary. Good. Wow. That's, I can never remember him talking like that. Um, you know, in the spring about any of his other squads and yeah. that, and, and okay. And as you said, right. Harbaugh is very good about, 
saying what he means, right? And scary good, I'll tell you. It's I can't wait to see the team on the field. If if they were scary good in the spring, um, you know, uh, hopefully we're going to see them fulfilling the promise of being an ascending program. Right, and and you know. In our conversations, especially when we're trying to kind of predict future seasons, um, where I look is is leadership uh, within the program, especially player leadership. Um, it's it's the biggest loss, in my opinion, from the twenty one season going into twenty two. Are those those guys that Harbaugh called the ones? You know, obviously starting with Aiden Hutchinson um, and extending to those those other guys, Hassan Haskins on the offensive side of the ball and uh, Brad Hawkins, Josh Ross uh, through your defensive unit. But I think right now there's, there's kind of an ace up our sleeve with the return of Ronnie Bell, because going into the 21 season, when we had this, when I had this conversation about player leadership, it was Hutchinson on defense, Ronnie Bell on offense. I think we got a real chance to have some quality, high impact leadership and guys that are going to step up in big moments. And then we know Ronnie Bell's season got snatched away from him in week one. So the return of Ronnie Bell right now is a little bit under the radar, both from uh, a production standpoint as a receiver and his explosiveness, but really a locker room presence and that, that really transformational leadership in the locker room, similar to what Aiden Hutchinson brought. There is a there is a chance that uh, that a guy like Ryan Bell could be could be that um, that impactful also. So it's a uh, it's tough for me to put that type of expectations on a guy from from way outside the program where we are. But um, I just want to remind everybody that that he was the Aiden Hutchinson equivalent going into twenty one on offense. He was that that uh, dynamic leader that we were looking for. And then, obviously, he, he stayed um, stayed in a leadership role, but it wasn't quite the same without having him on the field. And this year, he comes back, and, and we are, we're going to be beneficiaries of that impact in the 22 season. Clint, I'm going to go further than that, okay? If what we're hearing about Ronnie Bell is true, that he's stronger and faster than last year, you know, we may be getting ready to see one of the most outstanding seasons from from a player in a very long time on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, consider that I believe Harbaugh is stubborn, and we're still stubborn and right, by the way. We're going to see Ronnie Bell on special teams, okay? We got a little glimpse of his explosiveness last year before he got hurt. And whoever plays quarterback has experience. He's going to be the key receiver. I'm I'm salivating at how exciting it's going to be to watch Ronnie Bell, a, a fully healthy uh, Ronnie Bell, play an entire season. And he's been he's been through the fire mentally and emotionally, right? He's he's been to the bottom and been hammered and been the goat uh, in a couple different spots. So he, he's earned he's earned the right to have that kind of transformational breakout season and, and to really be the superstar for this team. He, he's earned it in all, in all facets. There have been times in the past where players will be hyped, right? 
And I'll sit back and I'll say, you know, some of the things you said, well, have they been tested? Listen, this guy, I mean, has been from the bottom, hopefully heading to the top. And again, stayed with the team all last year. Huge positive presence in the locker room, in the sidelines. And, you know, I think the same way that we were talking about some of the players watching Georgia celebrate, it must have been really great for Ronnie to be sitting on the sidelines for last season. But you got to know he wanted to be out there. Mm-hmm. And I think he wants his own great season. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. If there's, if there's any great prospect for Michigan to continue ascending, I think it's, it's Ronnie Bell and the strength at quarterback that we have. Um, and, and, and shoot Blake Corum too. Again, we're, you know, it's, it's, you know, when, when Harbaugh says scary, good, I can see it. And I, I hope we will see it. Absolutely. All right. So that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for umgoblue.com on iTunes. Go Blue!